Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. We have for the last couple of weeks been looking at this idea of the church, and not just the church universal, but our church specifically. Um, not as an institution, uh, not as a set of customs and traditions or, or religious practices or a set of uh, system of beliefs, but as a people, as a church family. Why we exist, what we're all about. What are our hopes and our dreams and our, and our vision and how do we fulfill that? What is our mission as a church? We started this church 20 years ago or so with this one simple mission statement. We exist to help unchurched people become wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. And our prayer for the last couple of weeks, particularly in our leadership team as a staff and the board as we've been praying about this and, and trying to seek God's direction for us as we move into this next season in the life of our churches, what unique way is God calling us to fulfill that? What unique way with our gifts, with our abilities, with our strengths and weaknesses, with our values, with our passions, with our experiences together as a church, how is God moving us forward? How do we lead his church in the way that he is leading us and a couple of weeks ago, we kind of put that vision out there for you a little bit. And if you weren't here a couple of weeks ago, because I know it's still summer, still kind of winding down a little bit, um, we do have extra copies of the CD of that message or listen to the podcast because it's what we are all about and what we believe God is leading us into uh, in this next season. And I'll tell you, for me, this whole thing has been going back to the roots of the calling God put on my heart a little over 20 years ago. For a church that would be real, honest about our flaws, honest about our faults, but honestly pursuing transformation, that transformation that only Jesus can give us, and that we would be a church that is resilient, that that we would never give up, that we would never stop doing what God has called us to do, no matter what, because we believe that God is leading us, and God is in this work, and he is the one that we serve, so we never give up. And today, I want to kind of start pulling all this stuff together. Uh, both today and, and again next week, we're going to do that. But just in the passage that was read earlier during our worship time, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 14, it says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, We no longer regard anyone from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. So we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God. For all that he has been writing in this letter, and we've been looking at it for the last couple of weeks, 
Paul begins to get to the heart of the matter. He said, this is what I'm going, all about. This is, what, this is what this whole letter is all about. This idea of being real, this idea of resiliency, it all comes down to this, that God has given to us this message of reconciliation. And he says, we are compelled, we are compelled by love to make this a reality. This is the driving force. And, and, and I'll tell you, as a church, this is the thing that drives us. That we are compelled by the love of Christ to share this message. Because if we lose that, if we lose that love-compelling message of reconciliation, then we're just another social club. You know, then we're just another gathering of people for an hour on a Sunday just to hang out together. And we're no different than the Rotary or the Elks or the Moose or whoever else you want to be a part of. Because the thing that makes the church the church is this message and the compelling love of Christ to make it known. And so that's what we are about as a church, that we are to be redemptive, that we are to be reconcilers, and we are compelled by the love of Christ to do this. We are compelled by his love. And that's kind of what I want to unpack a little bit for you this morning, is just talk about this compelling love of Christ, that he compels us. This love compels us. It compels us to live authentic, transformed lives, that we live differently because of his compelling love. This has been a theme, by the way, all through this letter. Paul keeps talking about being real, being authentic, being genuine. And he picks it up again here in verse 11. He says, what we are is plain to God. And I hope is also plain to your conscience. He says, I just, I am who I am. And that's who I am, not just before God, but before you too. See, Paul was cleanly aware that his relationship with God, that his, his progress and his growth and his spiritual development wasn't just about him because his life impacted other people too. And so it is with us. And I think all too often, and I don't get this, I don't get this at all, but all too often as Christians, we begin, once we've become followers of Jesus Christ, we begin to think it's all about us. It's my relationship with God. It's my growing and spiritual development. And we somehow we've we've come to separate this idea of discipleship from evangelism as if they are two different things. But they are not. They are one in the same. A disciple is one who proclaims the message. Jesus didn't call 12 men to be his disciples just so that he would have 12 really good followers. He called 12 men to prepare them and he poured his life into them for three years so that they would continue that message. So that they would continue the message and the mission that he had started. And so that's why Paul goes on. He says, therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. That our very lives are the message And we live authentically and we live growing and transformed lives because of the message. Because of what the message says to those around us. See, an ambassador doesn't just speak the words on behalf of his nation. He doesn't just speak on behalf of his country. His very life represents his country. And people in those foreign countries make decisions about the country that he comes from based on how he lives his life. And so it is for us. People make decisions about the kingdom of God based on how you and I live our lives. So we live authentic, transformed lives, not just for ourselves, but because people are making judgments about the kingdom of God because of it. St. Francis of Assisi, 
said it many, many years ago. And this, this quote has been attributed to I don't know how many different preachers, but it originated with him. And he just simply said this, preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. Because he understood it's our lives. It's our lives. And when we talk here about becoming wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ, what we are saying is that a wholehearted follower is someone who completes the circle, who discovers a life in Christ, who begins to grow and make commitments along those lines. And as they grow, they begin to share that life with other people so that those people become wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. It's completing the circle. And if we are not sharing this message, if we are not living it out there in such a way that it makes a difference in people's lives, we are not wholehearted followers. Because wholehearted followers are living and sharing the message. And that's why Paul wrote to the Thessalonian church. He said, we loved you so much that we delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be perfect. But we do need to be authentic. And I think many of us, many of us feel like our lives don't measure up. So we're afraid to share the message. Because the last thing you want to hear if you're a Christ follower is to share the message and let somebody know you're a Christian and have them say something along the lines like, really? I never would have guessed. (laughs) But I think a lot of us are afraid to share that message because we think our lives don't measure up to it. You don't have to be perfect. But live authentically. See, the key word in our mission statement is that word become. Because we are all becoming. We're not there yet. But we are becoming wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. And people need to see what becoming looks like. And more than anything else, it looks like love. It looks like grace. Because that's the message. And the question is, when I look at my life and I evaluate how I am doing in my spiritual development, the big question is, am I growing more and more in my capacity to love others? Am I becoming more and more gracious and loving and caring and compassionate? Because that's the measure. That's becoming like Jesus. More than anything else, it's about grace. And let me tell you, I am not perfect at this either. And I know you're all shocked to find that out, but I'm not. (laughs) I have had my share of mistakes. In fact, one of them just not too long ago. Uh, Most of you know, I enjoy sailing and I crew regularly on uh, Thursday nights racing out here on the Straits. And um, this crew that I've been together with has been together for a long, long time. And and the thing that happens while you're out there on the water and you kind of get to a point, you know, and everything's kind of settled down and you're at a point in the race, you kind of start conversation and you have this lighthearted bantering that kind of goes back and forth. And you kind of little digs at each other and you kind of have fun with that. That's part of what's being a crew. Okay. But there was one particular night that we're out there and we're doing, and we're, you know, just jabbing at each other and, you know, digging at each other and everything. And I said something that went just a little too deep. And I realized it because I saw on the face of the person that I said it to a little bit of hurt, just for a moment in the eyes. And I realized that went went too far. That wasn't just lighthearted joking around. I think that hurt. And I had to honestly go to him afterwards and say, you know what, I have to apologize. That never should have come out of my mouth. And I know I just kind of got caught up in the moment, but there's no excuse for it. I didn't mean to hurt you. See, that's what it means to be authentic. That even when you mess up, to be able to apologize for it. Now, again, I wish I could tell you I'm perfect at that, but I'm not. 
but more than anything else, trying to live authentic lives, living, engaged lives with other people. Philippians 1.27 puts it this way, no matter what happens, live in a way that brings honor to the good news about Christ. So here's what I want you to do today. Take out your little note paper, if you haven't done this already, if you're not taking notes, now's a good time to start. I'm waiting. I mean this, I'm, I'm waiting, okay? I'm looking for you, so I'm going to pull out the papers, okay? And then what I'd like you to do is on your paper, write down the name of five people. The names of five people in your lives. Might be a coworker, might be someone at school, uh, might be on your soccer team, um, you know, might be a family member, but someone who does not yet know Jesus. Surely you can come up with five names. Even if you have to really stretch it out there in the way of friendship, okay? But five names. And then here's what I'd like you to do, is just start praying for those people and pray for yourself. How might I be able to live a more gracious life with these five people? Not the whole world, just these five people. How could I be more loving, compassionate, and gracious with these friends of mine? It's what it means to live authentic, transformed, or transforming lives. And the love of Christ compels us to this. That's what he says. Not only that, the love of Christ compels us also to start looking at the people around us then with the eyes of Jesus, to see people the way Jesus sees them. Again, Paul writes writes it this way in verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. He says we can never look at people the same way again. We can't. The love of Christ compels us to look at people differently. Bill Hybels, I heard this quote years and years and years ago, and it stuck with me. He said, you have never looked into the eyes of someone who does not matter to God. You've never looked into the eyes of someone who does not matter to God because everyone matters. And no one is insignificant in God's eyes. Paul said it this way, he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Everyone matters to God. Christ died for all. That means everyone matters and no one is insignificant. That means that the waitress that messes up your order matters to God. It means the coworker who gets on your nerves matters to God. It means the neighbor who borrows your tools matters to God. The neighbor whose tools you borrow matter to God. The mother of that two-year-old who's having a very, very bad day matters to God. Her two-year-old matters to God. The motorist whose car has broken down on the side of the road matters to God. The student who sits next to you in English class matters to God. The barista who this morning made your double shot, light foam, non-fat, decaf, extra with latte this morning, matters to God. And they should matter to you. Your favorite cousin, your annoying brother, your daughter-in-law, your mother-in-law, your father and your teenage son, they all matter to God. And we need to see people through those kinds of eyes because the eyes of Jesus notice people in a different way. If you look at the life of Jesus, you read the Gospels over and over again, Jesus noticed people. 
he, he noticed a man who was laying, laying by the side of a pool, just waiting for the opportunity to be healed, that everybody else walked by every day. Jesus noticed him. Jesus noticed a little guy named Zacchaeus who, to try to get a better look, climbed up in a tree to be able to see Jesus. And while everybody else was looking at Jesus, Jesus was looking at Zacchaeus. Jesus noticed a man who had been born blind, who everybody else had come to ignore so much that after Jesus had healed him, they all had a debate was, is this the guy? He looks like the guy. I'm not sure if he's the guy. I think he might be the guy. And he said, I am the guy. Jesus noticed him. Everybody else walked by. They didn't even recognize him after the healing because they didn't notice him. It's a part of the fixtures. Jesus noticed a woman who in the middle of the day came to draw water from a well when no one else was around because she didn't want to be noticed. And Jesus noticed her and had a conversation with her about living water. See, we would do immeasurable good stuff if we would just notice people and notice them in the way that Jesus noticed them. Way, way back, the very first year of our existence as a church, um, we, we had to notice people because there were only 12 of us. You know, If we were going to do anything, you were going to have to start noticing people. And one of the things that I did, I was a soccer coach. My kids were young then. Um, I coached five and six-year-olds in soccer. And, and my wife stood on the sideline during soccer practice. So I'd be out there with all these little rug rats running around, you know, all huddling around the ball, you know, all together. Bunch ball, we called it back then. And, um, but another mother was there watching practice on the sideline. And of course, as you're there, you start striking up conversation. And this mom said to my wife, so what brought you to Benicia? He said, well, we moved here. My husband and I moved here to start a new church. She said, really? We haven't been gone. We've moved here like six years. We have never gone to church here in town. And my wife said, well, that's, we started a church just for you. We started a church for unchurched people. And she said, well, we qualify for that. And she said, well, you might want to come sometime. Well, where do you meet? Well, right now we're still meeting in our living room. She said, well, I'll talk to my husband, but I don't think he's going to go for it. And she talked to her husband. He didn't go for it. He said, no, I ain't going to church in anybody's living room. You get a building, I'll show up. But I'm not going. That's just too cultic sounding to me, okay? But the day we opened the doors, when we finally went public in our first public meeting place, they were there. And their family came to Christ. And about five or six years ago, I was invited back to to South Carolina, because they had moved back to South Carolina to perform the wedding for their daughter. Because my wife noticed somebody. See, that's the deal. It's just noticing people and seeing people, not even for who they are, but for who they can become. Because that's what Jesus did. He kept seeing what people could become. Everyone, everyone was a potential disciple. Everyone was a potential follower of his. And that's the way he looked at people. And that's what Paul says here. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. See, all those people matter because they are potentially a new creation. And that's what Paul's talking about. Everyone is a potential follower of Jesus Christ. So you never give up on anyone because you never know. You never know. Another story from our history. Way, way back when we were trying to get that first building, we had to get all the permits and all these things, and we had to go through the planning commission. We had to go through city council. And and there was one particular city council member that was really kind of being not a nice guy, okay? 
And after one particular city council meeting, when we weren't sure if we were going to get the use permit and all this stuff, and we were sitting around talking about it afterwards, and everybody was kind of griping about this one particular um, council member. And we just really kind of just being a jerk about the whole thing and just, you know, holding up the whole process. And we were all kind of griping about him, grousing about him. And Megan Boyle said, wait a minute, I'm praying for him because someday he might show up at Northgate. And imagine our surprise when about three or four years later, he did. You never know what somebody's doing, what God's doing in somebody's life. So here's what I'd like you to do. On that list of five people now that I had to do, now what I'd like you to do is by each one of them, what's going on in their life? What's happening that you know of in their life right now that you could do something to help? That you could be the hands and feet of Jesus to that person. Just just one thing you could do. See, put this... To action, not just theory. One thing you could do. What are the issues they're facing? What's God doing in their life? How could you be a part of making that happen? Christ's love compels us to look at people differently. And his love compels us to share this life-changing message of grace. He has given us this message. He says, God reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 18, he says, he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. That it's now in our hands. That we are the ones who are to extend this reconciliation to other people. Compelled by love because it's a message of love. We don't do it out of duty. We don't do it out of guilt. We don't do it out of earning a spot in heaven. We don't do it to be obnoxious or annoying. We do it out of love. Because somewhere along the line, somebody had loved you enough to tell you this message. Somewhere along the line, somebody loved me enough to tell me this message. And is the message of grace. This is the message. Verse 19. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting men's sins against them. And God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is the message. Now for those of you who are visual learners. Let me help you just really clarify this whole thing. Because it's not that hard. It's very simple. Some of you were wondering if we were going to play hangman this morning. We're not. <laughs> but I want to draw a picture because some of you are visual learners. This is the message that God created man and woman for relationship with him. That's at the heart of creation, that we would live in relationship with God. But there has been a rift in the relationship that needs reconciling. And this rift is like two sides of a canyon. And it's like the Grand Canyon. It is a huge rift. We were meant to be in relationship with him, but we are not anymore. And the reason for the rift is this. It is sin. In fact, Scripture says it is our sin that has separated us from God. And created this canyon. And the really bad news is that there's a bottom to this canyon. Death. Not just physical death, but eternal separation from God. Who created us to be in this relationship with him. 
And that's what needs to be taken care of. And here is what Paul is saying here. That God made him who knew no sin. Who is that? It's Jesus. Jesus was God become a man who knew no sin. And it says that God made him who knew no sin become sin for us. And in that, he paid the penalty. That's what his death on the cross was all about. On the cross, Jesus was building a bridge. In fact, someone came to me after his first service this morning and said, Jesus built the bridge between us and God with two boards and four nails. And that's the message. God made him who knew no sin become sin for us so that we might be the righteousness of God, that we might be restored into this relationship. That's the message. It's that simple. And whatever it is that has separated you from God, it has been bridged by Jesus Christ that God did for us what we could not do for ourselves. That is the message of sacrificial love. That is the message of grace. It's not like we're selling used cars here, folks. We are sharing life. It is a life-giving message, and we want everyone to be reconciled because Jesus' mission is now our mission. And look at how Paul puts it. Look at, listen to these words. He says, since then we know what it is to fear God. We try to persuade people. In fact, circle some of these verbs. We try to persuade people for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced he has committed to us this message, making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. These are not casual words. These are intense. He has committed to this, this to us. We are persuaded. We are compelled. We implore you, be reconciled. What he's saying there is we do whatever we have to do so that people can be reconciled to God. Because Christ did all that needed to be done for us. So we need to be able to do it for other people. And that's why we exist as a church. We exist to be reconcilers. We exist to be redemptive. Because Jesus was redemptive. And his mission is now our mission. And so we do whatever we can to make that happen. Let me, we've been collecting yay God stories over the last month or so. I want to read to you one that came in this week. I thought, just thought this was so cool. Um, this is my yay God story. It's written by actually one of our teens. Last Saturday, a friend of mine texted me saying she was really upset about something. And I talked to her for a little bit. And even though she said that she felt better, she was still on my mind on Sunday morning. During the sermon, one of the verses jumped out at me and was perfect for what my friend was going through. Then Pastor Ken said something about how God speaks to other people through you. And I realized that my friend had to hear that verse. So I texted her that verse during the service. Sorry, Pastor Ken. (laughs) And after, I got a reply from my friend that it was exactly what she needed, and she was very grateful. We do whatever it takes. And if you need to text during a sermon, you have my permission. (laughs) Only 
if it's of eternal value. (laughs) See, there are so many ways to communicate that message. And just a text that brings God's word to bear on somebody else's life. A teenager can do that. You can do that. It's why we designed Northgate the way we did, so that you could invite, if you are nervous about talking to people about God, if you just get all tongue-tied, if, you're, if your palms get sweaty and your mouth gets dry instead of just licking your palms, okay, you could do something else. You could invite. And it's why we work really hard that when you invite a friend on Sunday morning, that what they get here, the music will be of good quality that the message will be understandable in such a way that it relates to life. We work really hard at doing that so that you can invite your friends with confidence. Do you know, do you know, and this statistic continues to be, and it's for the last 20 years that I've known of it, do you know that over 66%, 68% actually is the current number, 68% of people who do not currently go to church at all said they would at least consider and quite possibly attend if invited by a friend or a family member. Two-thirds. Two-thirds of people who do not currently go to church, who God is not really a part of their lives, two-thirds of them said they would at least consider and likely even attend if a friend or a neighbor or a family member would just invite them. Do you know what the other statistic is? Statistically, only 2% of people who call themselves Christ followers, who are regular church attenders, only 2% actually invite somebody. Two-thirds say they would come if somebody would just invite them. And yet, only 2% are actually inviting. It's not hard to invite. And by the way, inviting is not just, hey, you ought to come with me sometime. Inviting is, this Sunday, I'd love to have you come and be my guest. And we have designed, we've got so many things happening. In fact, if you want to pull this out, this whole transformation, just things that are coming up in two weeks. Just in two weeks, we are starting a brand new sermon series on September uh, 12th. It's called Insomnia. What is it that keeps you awake at night? What God has to say about those things. Now, I believe everybody can relate to that one. Everybody can think of at least one thing that keeps them up awake, awake at night. If you have a friend who's saying, you know, I am just not sleeping good these days. I got so much stuff going on in my life. I'm not even getting a good night's sleep. You can say, you know what? Our church, we're going to talk about that in a couple weeks. Why don't you come with me? In fact, you come with me, I'll take you out to lunch afterwards. That's an invitation. We have the startup of our student ministries coming, in, um, not this coming week, but the following week. Minute to win it. High schoolers, middle schoolers, invite your friends. It's not just for you. It's for you to invite your friends. It's going to be a lot of fun. And people are going to connect with your church family. So use it. Our, our, our children's ministry, DIG, we are launching in two weeks on September 12th. It is a complete revamp of our whole children's ministry. Revamp of the rooms, revamp of the, of the curriculum, everything. It is a lot of fun, and it's going to be a great chance to invite. In fact, last week, we had the kids in our, in our children's ministry write down their five list, list of five names that they would invite to come. So our kids are doing it. You could do it. Do you know that one of the most important transition times in the life of a person in a married couple is when they have kids and all of a sudden the responsibilities of life get very, very real? It's a great opportunity to reach out and invite. And you might have a friend like that. 
not this coming week, but the following week, on Tuesday through Friday, 6.30 to 8.30, I'm going to be here and we're just going to be praying for our friends. And that list of five on your name, on your list, bring them with you. You don't have to stay for the whole two hours. You can stop in for just 10 minutes on your way to work. But we'll have the cafe open. We'll have coffee. We'll have some sweet rolls. Just come on by and let's spend some time praying together for our friends, for our neighbors, for our community, for our church. And if you can't make it every day, just make it one of those days. But take your list and be praying. And if you can't, if your work schedule just doesn't allow it, then, then pray on your way to work and you'll be joining us because God can hear us from both locations. It, he really can. It works. But the whole idea is to be missional in what we do. I am convinced more than ever before in this day and age, more than ever before, I am absolutely convinced that people are longing and looking for a church that is real. For people who are resilient, trusting in God. For people who are acting redemptively and engaging in life. And I want us to be that church. I want every church to be that church, but I don't pastor all those other churches. But my prayer for this church, my prayer from this church is that we would not just be fine, upstanding churchgoers, but that we would be mission-minded, purposeful, life-sharing, reconciling, wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. That is my prayer for each and every one of you and for myself. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.